I'm actually reading this straight out of the Bible in the pew, so if you don't have one, you can grab it. It's from 1 John chapter 1, which if you are using the pew Bible, it's 1,183. I'm just going to do the first four verses. So, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. parents have such a deep and profound impact on the people that we become. That's scary for me as a new dad when I think that I'm going to have a profound and deep impact on my daughter and the person she turns out to be. I also notice that as I grow older, I can't escape the fact that there's so many ways I'm like my parents. Sometimes it's surprising to find out how much I turn out to be like them. Now, if our earthly parents have such a deep and real impact on who we are, how much more should our Heavenly Father have an impact on who we are? Right? So, one thing that we're going to learn in the book we're about to dive into is that so much of who your spiritual parent is can be identified by the way that you live. Earthly parents have a huge impact on us. Spiritual parent, our Father in Heaven, has an even bigger and deeper impact on who we turn out to be. We're about to jump into a series on the Apostle John's letters. First to third John. He's an author we have not heard from yet. So it would be really good for us. As we go here, as we grow in learning and hearing from all of Scripture, every part, every author, everything that God's written should be in our diet. Why are we going here next? We're going here next because John simply explains to us the Christian life. He lays it out in simple language, in simple terms. Sometimes it's mysterious, but he basically unpacks for us passage after passage after passage, what a child of God is. We just spent five weeks going through our mission, our visions, and our values. And the point is, it's not that we're done with those now. It's not that we leave those behind now. Now we go forward with those, learning together how those things flesh out in our day-to-day -day lives. And over the next several months, the Apostle John is going to help us do that. He's going to help us be with the Father. He's going to help us love his family. 
He's going to help us make disciples. I need help with all those things. Amen? And this book, these books of the Bible are going to help get us there. Okay, so let's step forward now. Book of 1 John. What do we know about it? It's written by the Apostle John, one of Jesus' closest followers. It was written as he was an old man nearing the end of his ministry. After Jesus ascended to, a he to heaven, he went out as a missionary, probably to the region of modern-day Turkey, to a place called Ephesus, and he planted some churches there. This seems to be one of those churches, and he's writing a letter to them. So what's the historical situation? Like, why is he writing a letter to them? And as you read through it, you can kind of start to piece together what he's doing and why he's writing to them. Now, I want you to imagine this for a moment, that you're in a church like this one. You're following Jesus with people that you love, you know, that you care about. And then some years after following Jesus with them, some people in the church start to teach and to say that Jesus is not actually God. We don't have to follow him alone. He doesn't have authority. And that John was wrong. And that the word of God was wrong. And then after a season of bitter and hard conflict, they leave the church. Okay? Imagine if people you know and love and respect around you in this church denied Jesus and left the church and ripped the community. Imagine how hard it would be to process that. Imagine the doubts you would have. Like, am I on the right side or are they right? Is this whole Jesus thing, is it true? Is it real? Look at what just happened. This is a devastation. At that moment when you might have been losing faith, when you might have been losing confidence, all of a sudden this letter arrives from John. Right? Wouldn't you be desperate to receive it and read about it and hear what he has to say at this moment of crisis in your church family? Now one thing we learn about the scriptures as we, just in general, is that while they're written to specific historical situations, God intended them to be written for all Christians at all times until Jesus comes back. So God used his apostles, his authors of scripture, in specific historical situations to address specific things that are going on, yet in his wisdom, in his spirit, he wrote a book that's for all Christians for all time until Jesus comes back. So thank God our community did not just get ripped in half. Amen? <laughs> but we have the exact same heart struggles as this early church. We have the exact same pressures to leave Jesus. We have the exact same pressures to give our loyalty to other people and other things. And so even though we're not going through the exact same struggle, we're going through the same kind of temptation, and we need this letter through the Holy Spirit to come to us. That's why we're studying this together. Now we pastors put our heads together and try to come up with a sentence that captures this book. Right? We, want, we want the message of the book to be clear to us. By the time we're done preaching this book, 
all of us should have a clear idea about what it's trying to say to us. So here's a sentence that we put together. We know we're God's children when we believe in Jesus, love his family, and overcome the world and the evil one. John weaves these three themes together, believing in Jesus, love his, loving his family, and overcoming the world and the evil one as three different tests that authenticate God's children as God's children and give them confidence about who they are. He's writing to give this church confidence in the face of doubt and confusion about who they are and about who God is and who Jesus is. And we can see this by the end of the letter. He writes this, 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So by the end of our time going through this, we should be more confident, more assured in the face of any temptation, any doubt about who we are, who God is, and what we're called to do with our lives. So with that said, let's jump into the verse 1 of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. It's a super strange way to start a letter. No, hi, how are you? No greetings, no grace and peace, just that which was from the beginning, which we have seen with our eyes. Although this sounds strange, this is not very strange for John. He wrote other books in the Bible. He wrote a gospel story about Jesus' life. And it actually starts in a very similar way. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. And without him was not anything made that was made. So in the beginning of his story about Jesus' life, the point John is making is that Jesus, who he sometimes calls the Word, was there. He was there before anything that exists ever started existing. And more than just being there, he is the beginning of everything because he created everything. That's how John starts his story about Jesus' life. Now when he starts his letter here, he's saying something very similar but a little different. He references that which was from the beginning. So he's talking about, again, this one who's the beginning of all things, who created everything, who's the source of everything, who all things came into existence through him. But then he says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and touched with our hands. His point is that several years ago, I met a man who created everything. He's the one who caused all things to exist. And I heard him talk to me. I saw him with my eyes. I even touched him with my hands. I touched his scars. See what he's saying here? That which was from the beginning, which I heard and saw and touched. The one who's the source of all things became a human being, and John encountered him. John uses we 
because he's not just writing from his own perspective, but there were other eyewitnesses, other people who encountered Jesus while he walked on the earth in the flesh for those 33 years, and he, they, along with John, are eyewitnesses to the one who created all things. Because John was an eyewitness to Jesus, he has a special authority to talk about him. These people who are leaving the church, dividing from the church family, leaving the body are saying that they have authority and that they should be listened to and they should be regarded and they should be heard. John is saying, no, I was there. I saw Jesus. I'm filled with his spirit. You need to listen to me and to my testimony because it has authority from God. Then he says, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The word of life is a title or a phrase that he's using to describe Jesus. Very simply, words reveal things. Words reveal information. Words reveal personality. If you sat with me and listened to my words, it would start to reveal to you who I am. In the same way, Jesus, when he came to earth, he reveals his father. He reveals God. That's why Jesus is called the word, because he shows us who God is. And he's not just a revelation, he's a word of life. That means that he comes and when he reveals to himself, he brings life to dead people. When you get to encounter Jesus and see what he's like and see what God's like, that's not only revealing God to you, it's also changing you and rescuing you and saving you. It's how, God, how Jesus brings you life is he shows you God. It's what we all need to see in order to live. And he's going to get into this more in verse 2. The life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. The life appeared. The life appeared. Such an amazing statement. If you go back to the beginning of the story... In Genesis, you see a God who was the beginning of abundant life. A lush garden. A world filled with animals. Two beautiful human beings to rule it all. There was nothing, and then there was that. A, someone caused that to exist with the power of his words. And John is iterating for us, the person who did that appeared. The one who caused life at the beginning appeared, and he started doing it again. He started creating life again. So there's a beginning where God creates life. Then there's a fall where Adam and Eve disobeyed, and humans ever since have disobeyed, and death has reigned in this world, and that tends to be what characterizes the story after that, from that point on, until Jesus comes again. And the one who authored life in the beginning begins to author life afresh in the lives of his disciples, and then through them in the world, there's hope for this world because life appeared in it in the person of Jesus Christ. And John's saying, I was there and I saw it. I saw the 5,000 fed. Like he saw a hungry mass of humanity around Jesus. Food goes out to them. John would say, I saw Lazarus get out of the grave. 
I saw it. I'm telling you. The one who made everything from the start, who made this abundant life in the world, he appeared as a man, and I walked around this world with him. So John's saying the life appeared. And we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life. The life that Jesus comes to bring never ends. The life that Jesus comes to bring never ends. It was never supposed to end in the beginning. That was never the plan. That was human disobedience. We caused it to end. Jesus is coming back again, so it will never end. Jesus came and comes again so that we can have life that will never be conquered by death. Which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So in the beginning, life is within God. God creates outside of himself a world full of life. And then when that world is dead in sin and trespasses, the life source actually comes into that world and starts to create life afresh within it. It comes from the Father. We're going to get back to this, but God is a Father and a Son. There's more than one person in God. He's one being and more than one person. That's what John is hinting at right here when he says, that which was with the Father and appeared to us. Now, why is John telling this church these things? Why does he start out here? Like, what's, what's his reason for talking about experiencing the one who created all things? He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see those two words, so that? That's indicating John's purpose. So he's proclaiming these things to this church so that they may have fellowship with him. Fellowship is a close relationship. That's what that word means. So John's saying, I want to have a cl- us to have a close relationship with one another. So how does this work? How does what John proclaimed create a close relationship between him and this church? The reason is, is that when you share Jesus in common with someone, there's nothing deeper you could share. When you share the one who created you and created the whole world with someone else, there's nothing deeper you could ever share with them. When you have that in common, every difference should be overcome and you should have a deep relationship with that person. Nothing should be able to pull you apart because nothing's bigger than Jesus. This is why we do life together in this church with all different kinds of people. Right? A lot of us never knew each other until we came together to worship Jesus. A lot of you probably wouldn't hang out with me Except for we worship Jesus together. Like every difference we have between us is smaller than Jesus. Therefore, nothing should ever pull us apart as long as we have him in common. Amen? As long as this church and each of us individually keeps following and holding fast to Jesus, we will never have to experience broken relationship or fellowship with one another. 
We can forgive offenses. We cannot stumble over different political and cultural stances. We can learn to love people who are difficult for us to be around. Since we have Jesus, we no longer have to go the way of the world in endless bickering and fracturing. As long as we keep pursuing Jesus together, our church will never be divided into multiple groups. We'll never have to go through a church split. It's so painful that this happens in so many churches and that the enemy has his way and splits up bodies of believers. But as long as we keep Jesus in common, that will never happen in this church. Next, John turns over one more stone about this fellowship that we share with one another. He says, And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John is pulling back the curtain on God and showing us something new about him that we couldn't figure out on our own. So God is here, a father and a son. He's also a spirit, father, son, and spirit. But John here is focusing on the father and the son, so we're going to focus on that. The word people often use is trinity. God is one being in more than one person. One being in more than one person. And John actually says the exact same thing at the start of his letter, at the start of his story about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, who is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. With God, was God, both at the same time, because there's more than one person in the one God. Who here is confused by that? That's okay. Me too. Me too. My point, and I don't think John's point is that we would understand God fully or understand the Trinity fully, but that we would love God for who he reveals himself to be. We would love what he's shown us, even if we don't understand fully what it is that he's shown us. Now, as I've meditated on God and I've thought about that, I actually love that God is a Trinity. There's, there's actually no good news for us if God's not a Trinity. This is a foundation of what we believe you imagine for a second, no world exists. Nothing. Just God. That's all there is. Before anything was made, it's only God. If he's just a singularity, if he's just one person and one being and that's all there is, then either when he created the world, he may have been a lonely God. Like he's like, I'm all alone. There's no one else for me to relate to. So I'm going to create a world for the people that I can relate to. That's not the God we worship, a God who's needy and needs us. Another possibility is that God is cold and indifferent to relationship, that he was just all alone, he's just one person, he's all there was, and he didn't care. And that would be awful also, that there's a God who's not relational in the first place. We don't worship either of those gods. We worship the God who is Father and Son. Before all time, there was love because the Father was loving and knowing the Son, and the Son was loving and knowing the Father. We worship a God who is completely relational, completely full, 
completely good, before anything was ever created. That's the God that we worship. He's a complete family in and of himself, all by himself, with nothing else outside of himself. And that should blow our minds. This is why John is able to say later in the letter, God is love. God is love. Because literally, God was in a relationship of love forever. That's all he's ever experienced or known is a relationship of love. So what does this have to do with saying that our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus? So what God brings us into when we come into a relationship with him is this full relationship that's already the case. We join into something that's already happening. There's a father and a son in a perfect family relationship, and we're getting into that to enjoy it. We're outside of it. We're cut off from it because of our sin. And what God does is he brings us into it. It's like being an orphan on the streets and entering into a family that adopts you and you join into the relationship in life that already exists there that you need to get in on. Or how about this? How, how many of you have ever felt lonely and seen a group of people hanging out and wish you could have hung out with them? That's all of us and God. But he's good, and he's saying, I want you to come in. I want you to be a part of this with me. Every one of you, unlike people who turn the cold shoulder and for whatever reason don't welcome other people in, in these verses, we have a God who is welcoming us into the fellowship with him and with his son that we're made for and that we're alone without. That's the kind of God we share together. Welcoming us into the relationship of love and affection and community that already exists. Here's what Jesus prays in the Gospel of John in chapter 17. He says, I pray, Father, that all of them may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you see that? Jesus is saying, Father, I'm in you. You're in me. And I'm praying that they would get to be in us. That's Jesus' heart for people, is that we would get to enter into the love and relationship with God that's already there. I may not understand the Trinity, but I love the Trinity. And that's what I want to invite all of you into this morning, to confess with me. I may not understand the Trinity, but I love it. And then you can think of all, how this, all this relates together. God is, is the center. God is the top. And if you imagine a triangle, right? I'm over here. You're over here. Just Some believers are here. Some believers are over here. And as we are drawn into God's life, what's happening to us? We're being drawn together. This is exactly what John is saying when he's saying, I want us to have fellowship, and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. All of us together, drawn together into the Father and the Son, becoming one. 
Unlike this broken community where people left, when we follow God together, we're all becoming one together as we share fellowship with each other. That's what God does. Do you notice that the fellowship of God expands outwards? Right? It starts with the Father and the Son, and then it goes outward to welcome and invite other people into it. That's what John is getting at in verse 4. He's alluding to something similar like that when he says, We write this to make our joy complete. We write this to make our joy complete. Why does writing this letter make John's joy complete? Let's connect this to what came before. The father and son are in a full relationship with each other. They overflow and create the world. Right? They didn't have to do that. God was fine without the world. He was fine without me. He was fine without you. He was already happy. He didn't need us. So why did he create the world? He just wanted to. Like, you get this picture of a being who's overflowing like a fountain and the world exists and the world is made as a result of him overflowing. Likewise, John, who's a follower of Jesus, similarly overflows to other people. God fills him up and he, in turn, being so full of God and God's love and God's joy, overflows to other people. It's what makes him happy. This is why he ministers. This is why he spends his life helping other people know God, because God has so filled him up that it's his joy to overflow to others. This is why he writes this letter to help this church keep following Jesus. Because when you're full of joy, the only thing that can make you happier still is to share that joy with other people. In our world, people take from other people to make themselves happy. Right? Like that's, that's how people try to make themselves happy. Like if I can take this or, or get that or cling to this or, or get this position or this wealth or this money or this girl or whatever, that's how the world tends to make themselves happy. That's not how we live. Right? We live in a different way where we, rather than acting from lack, as followers of God, act from abundance and fullness God fills us up, and instead of taking from others, it becomes our joy to give to them. And that's how we make our joy complete. That's how we pursue our joy in this community, is rather than acting as needy human beings trying to get from others, we are full human beings who are full of God and delight to give to other people. That's how John makes his joy complete. That's how we're invited to make our joy complete. This is where our core values come together, right? One reason we want to be with the Father is so that the overflow of being with the Father is that we love his family and make disciples. That's what happens when we spend time with God. We overflow and start caring about other people in the family, start caring about our neighbors who don't know the Lord yet, and start spending our lives pursuing them instead of pursuing our own comfort. One thought and challenge I have for you this morning when you feel like God is calling you to do something hard, 
that you believe will actually make you less happy, know that God is actually inviting you into greater happiness. When God challenges you to do something hard that seems like it will make you less happy, believe that he's actually inviting you into greater happiness and greater fullness. Because the picture we get here from Jesus and John's life is God flowing life into us and then that life flowing out to other people. That to me sounds way more epic than TV, food, or whatever else I can try to put in myself to make myself happy. The power of God flowing into me and flowing out of me is actually the happy life rather than the cheap bill of goods this world sells us. So church, the challenge that I have for us this morning, the main point is that our path to our greatest joy is to overflow to others. If you're trying to seek to make yourself happy, which is good because all of us are, right? God, God actually designed human beings to be happy, and it's sin that ruins our happiness. And if we're pursuing our happiness, if we're pursuing our joy, the way to do it is to overflow the life of God to other people. John began this letter by mentioning that the creator of this world became a man. And that's mind-boggling, right? The creator of this world became a man. And then the creator of this world who became a man died for the world to bring it life. Right? So he didn't just become a man. He came and he died in order to bring life to lifeless people like myself who are dead in my sins without him so that I can be this kind of person I'm talking about this morning. If you're wondering this morning, how do I become a person who the love and life of God flows into in order to flow out to other people? How does that happen? The answer is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. None of us are born that way. No life is flowing into us. We're just dead. We're like a bog or a swamp or something nasty. Ugh. And then when we follow Jesus, fresh water starts to flow into us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Plants and fruit starts to bloom. And people who come around us get to partake of the life that's growing in and through us through God. You become a source of life for others rather than a place of death and destruction. And I just love that Jesus came to die and rise again so that we could live that kind of life together and be a life source to our families, to our friends, and to our communities. So one way I'm trying to think about my life is that I could spend one more evening making myself comfortable. That sounded weird, comfortable. I could spend one more light day, day of my life doing that. Or I could have my neighbor over who has a completely different worldview than me, who it's tough to get along with, who I'd have to make a meal for with my wife and take care of our baby that we're still learning how to take care of and try to get to bed on time. And it's going to be hard. And it's a sacrifice. But at the end of the day, if I want life to flow through me to that other person, I need to do this kind of thing. And because I want the joy of being a source of life to this person, I'm sending the invite. 
Some of the greatest moments of enjoyment in my whole life are when I've just spent myself caring about someone else, telling them about who Jesus is, helping them follow him. I'm ashamed to say that this is not the case for me every day or even all the time, but there are times where God has made me that kind of person, and those are the happiest moments I have, and I want all of us to have more of those all the time. I want to invite our community to be a happy place that seeks its joy in giving life to other people. Wouldn't that feel so different from every place else, every other kind of club or culture all around us, every other kind of neighborhood? If when people stepped in here, they would feel like they were loved and that what would actually make your day is to care for them. Very few places feel like that. And I think that God wants to turn us more and more into that place where other people feel like it's your delight to serve them and care for them because they've been served by God. So family, I want to invite us to pursue our greatest joy by overflowing the life of God to others. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you didn't withhold the life of God, but you came and overflowed and poured it out to people who don't deserve it like us, and we just want to be a channel for you to flow through to others, God. That's what we want to do with our lives. So please, right now, meet with us and fill us up with yourself so that we have an abundance to give to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.